Before we get into today's episode, let me tell you about patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. There, you can listen to episodes two days earlier, as well as get exclusive shows such as So Tell Me, an introspective podcast by my crazy life hosted by Chalfie, the D&D podcast, an entertainment podcast with Delvin Jr. talking about all things pop culture, On Shuffle, a music podcast hosted by Mike Fowler, and much, much more. So go to patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. That's patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. I want to give a special shout out to Patreon producer Mikey Famine, host of the Ben Podcast and Dig on America. Thank you. Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast which each week I'm on a one-man mission to United Coastal University. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me on the podcast, I don't know if I can say special guest. I, like, know, I don't know if I can say guest. Like, you like you live here. I know. <laughs> like, Many times I've been here, like, I can go in the refrigerator and, like, drink your juice and stuff like that. Yeah, you can, like, go <laughs> drink juice, put your feet on the couch. And, right, like, right, right. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> eat, make your bowl of cereal and everything. Yeah, make your bowl of cereal, you know. <laughs> yeah, no. Country boy on the right. podcast. right. That's not how these people acting weird. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm thinking about calling my 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 Patreons Motley Crew, but I don't know if they would understand the reference. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they would understand the reference because I never tell you my real name. So it's like, how did you get that? I still, I'm still gonna rock with. I'm gonna rock with it and see how it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting your real name out there. Yeah, I so, mean, I mean, you can find it if you, hey, you feel it real, you can feel it real spicy. <laughs> you, you can find it. Nah. Country Boys on the podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today, man? It's, it's, it's 4th, good, of, man. 4th of July or 15 days after Juneteenth, so you know. Yeah, that's it's the other it's the other <laughs> Independence Day. Yeah, it's other Independence Day. Yeah, somebody uh, else's Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, damn sure wasn't ours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I will enjoy the, the festivities. Did you buy yeah. any fireworks? Nah, man, I don't mess with I don't mess with fireworks. Not not that you know they're not available because South Carolina doesn't care. But I've got the point, especially with the with the kid. My son's autistic. He hate loud noises. The dog, the, the dog is a dog. Yes. So it's like, ain't nobody fire nothing over here. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, this is the first time in a long time. I'm like, let me just buy some type of fireworks because my kids are like, you know, my son's seventeen. My daughter's fifteen. I'm like, they're gonna probably be out the house soon. It's probably gonna be like the the last one of the last right, right, Fourth right, of July's right, right. that we're gonna spend together. So I said, I'll get a little small box of fire with me, shoot them in the backyard real quick and get this. You think they're gonna appreciate that? I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I think, I think my will. son will. Yeah. My daughter can fuck less. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say if nothing else, if nothing else, your son would probably probably enjoy blowing up things. I know I did as a child. I enjoyed yes. blowing up things. My yeah, dad, I, I did too. My dad had a terrorist handbook and that showed you how to, this is, you know, pre-9-11, pre-crazy. You know, this is a different time. So it's, 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 it's the 60s and 70s. He had a terrorist, terrorist handbook and I used to use it, use it to blow the bill bombs and blow up mailboxes and street signs. You, you, you have to explain this. How does one get a terrorist handbook? <laughs> I don't know. That's that is a good that's a good <laughs> damn question. So okay, my dad uh, had his friend named Blueford that uh, they were tight with, and Blueford was like almost mythical. He was like when he tells me these stories, 
he used to have things that you just don't know how you get ownership of. One of those things was the terrorist handbook. He also had like a janitorial set of keys that he could use to just open things. And he he would use it to like open um, vending machines and steal all the change out of it. And so we don't know how he procured either one, either one of these things, but what happened with the terrorist handbook is they used it to build bombs and it was strapped into the back of street signs and to mailboxes and they will blow things up until my dad's brother, youngest brother took it to school and the administration found it and, and confiscated it. And once again, this was a different time. Today, if you had brought the terrorist handbook, you would be on, on Channel New, the News. And, and you Yeah, going to prison. <laughs> the FBI would show up at your doorstep. You know what I'm saying? You would definitely get expelled. It would be bad. But in this case, the administration just confiscated the book and they didn't have it. They didn't have it anymore. And honestly, the sort of things that were, that were in it, I'm, like, hey, I mean, it's not called it's not called the hey, the, how to blow up a mailbox. It's called a fucking terrorist handbook. Like I said, this is a real, <laughs> this is a real problem. <laughs> that is wild. That, well, I guess it makes sense that they ha- that, that they exist, but it's wild that you can just find one. Like, hey, here's, here's yeah. What do you handbook. buy that? Like at Barnes and Noble? Like I don't know. I don't even how even know you getting. How do you get a book like this? Yeah. How how do one acquire a yeah. terrorist handbook? Yeah. Right. And, and and honestly, when the dad told his story, I thought it was full of crap. So I looked the book up to, to find out whether or not it, a, a book like this actually exists. Oh, and it is a book. There's a terrorist handbook book. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, well, well shit. <laughs> you, are, you are far braver than me. Ain't no way to <laughs> look at the Yeah, the FBI is like, now that I think about it, that wasn't sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no way in hell. I'm looking up a terrorist handbook. <laughs> In this day and age, no way. Oh, man. They're going to think I'm a damn DC sniper. Yeah. Like, nah. Uh-uh. Won't be in my search history. No, no. And I'm going to tell you something, man. If, ever, if something ever happened to me, they definitely going to, like, tie that, make that work. They're going to tie that in. Yo, in, in 2008, he was looking at the terrorist handbook. You know, I, he had a, a history. Yeah, because... Yeah, um. I sometimes there's things that I want to know about just like off of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, maybe I shouldn't look that up. <laughs> like, maybe if something would ever happen, I don't want that to be in my search history. You might just be curious. You might be just curious about what what poisons are untraceable. Next yeah. thing you know, something happens and they're like, hey, look at this. Remember on this day you were looking up untraceable poisons and now now your significant other ends up dead? Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Life. Yeah. Life. <laughs> like uh, when I was younger, I used to always hear about people making like pipe bombs and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. is that a thing people could do? And I, I often thought, I want to look it up and see how, how does one make one. But then I thought, no, that's not nah. a good idea. Don't nah, look don't that up. Just, do just, that. just, that's just something you won't know. Nah. <laughs> like, like, no. And honestly, I don't, I, most sites, like this is ethical uh, thing where like they won't post how how to make things they tell you about like that is possible but not like the ingredients that you need i think mythbus has had this episode where they built like this really high explosive bomb from household ingredients and then we're like we can't tell you how to build it because we promised the fbi that we wouldn't you know <laughs> and sort of thing the same thing with pipe bombs like hey chill chill if he figures it out he figures it out but don't go around telling people yeah you know, it's kind of funny you mention that because now that I think about it, 
it's real wild that Master P made a song called Ghetto Dope and told you how to make crack in the song. And they were like, yeah, this this is a song that's fine. We, we can yeah. put this song out there. Yeah, we, this seems like exactly what we what we want the streets to hear. But I, oh, to their defense, it's not as if it's a complicated recipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as if. I mean, it is some, uh, it's kind of like bacon. So it is some things that you need to be careful and wary of that, that you might ruin some dope, but for the most part, you just heating up stuff to take the impurities out <laughs> and rocking it up and, and putting it into baggies and getting it out to the people. Good luck. But that's Don't just die. a wild thing to like having a song. Like, hey. It is. It is. Absolutely <laughs> it is. I always like I always like when they name how much they buy a key for. I mean, because I don't know how much keys cost, but but you know, Jesus used to call himself Mr. 17.5. And I think Ross would talk about how, you know, he bought a key for 22. I was like, I don't know how much keys talk about, but I distinctly remember PMC being like, you did not get a key for 17.5. That's not even that's not even a homie rate. Like that's a steal. Like, who did you have who mother did you sleep with to get this deal? <laughs> you just making up numbers, sir. Tell us they like the stock tell market. Tell right, us the rate for coke. Right. I, I'm like, I, but but when he says it, I was like, I take his word for it. I don't know how much a key costs. He's like, I'm I'm getting the key for seventeen five. I was like, cool. That sounds like a great price. I don't sound like know. a deal. Exactly. It sounds like a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Rappers lie to us a lot. Yeah, they do. They do lie. And 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 GZ himself will tell you that he wasn't. He was just a hangers on with BMF. But he wasn't. He wasn't so that guy. No, he wasn't that guy. He was writing stories about that guy. In this in this scenario, he's Stephen King. <laughs> yes. All right. As always, we'd like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Coach Boy, you ready? Yeah, let's go. Question number one. Which moment in black TV history affected you more? James Evans' death or the moment where Will Smith in the Fresh Prince realized his dad didn't love him and he hugged Uncle Phil. Oh, wow, that was tough. That's still tough. I honestly mean not be like So that. you got, so to be clear, you got damn, 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 yeah. and against, why you don't love me, man? <laughs> um, so I didn't never really like, I never really liked good times because- It was depressing as shit. Not only was it depressing because they never had any good times, but <laughs> no, there was no good time to be had in the show. Mostly because Florida Evans was a Florida was um was a snitch. She was the ops. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's just real coonery. It's just real. It was just real coonish, especially JJ. And I I get I get why James Amos hated it because JJ would be straight. I mean, tab dancing for these white folks. I'm like, chill, shout it. Say dynamite <laughs> one more time. Say it <laughs> one more time. So I, while I've seen good times, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy good times. And also, whoever wrote the script where where Florida leaves after James's death and then comes back and marries a fucking atheist, I hope you're rotting somewhere, rotting in hell. <laughs> that does not work. That's not how any of this works. Anyway, um, so for me, it would be Fresh Prince, mostly because I remember that scenario and I just feel like that that particular moment was very poignant. And it speaks to a lot of a lot the struggle that a lot of 
black men had. And honestly, <laughs> looking back on good times and them living in a two-parent household and still struggling, just it feels more like bullshit than I remember. I mean, like y'all got two, y'all got both it's two parents in here and y'all both still live in the projects. How did that, that is happen? wild? Yeah, how does that happen? Like the fact that you have two parents is 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 it's that like what? Look at this. Look at, as a matter of fact, I'm surprised his parents weren't jealous. Look at this nigga over here with, with his mama and his daddy. Who do you think you are, sir? You think you better than me? Um, that, so yeah, that is kind of wild. Uh, I, I and I feel I, I I feel like you know the Fresh Prince episode was more grounded, and it it it, it spoke to that time period where a lot of a lot of black men didn't have their father their father in their lives and now we strive to be better to be better dads now nah, and now granted you know that's not me i grew up my dad my dad in, in my life but i could see a scenario where you could i didn't have my dad and because i didn't have my dad i want to be the dad the best dad possible to my kids because i want them to have what i never what i never had so yeah definitely Definitely the Fresh Prince. And also, I mean, shout out to Uncle Phil. <laughs> shout out to Uncle Phil. Because he was like, Definitely. without him being that rock, without him being that rock, that moment doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? He has to be that father figure in that moment when he's like, he doesn't love me, man. He's like, come here. Bring it in. Bring it in. It's a great you moment. Know? It's a great TV it's a great moment. moment. It is a great TV moment, man. I wish I wish James Avery was still alive, man. I wish he was. Get the uh, flower like he, that he gets. He, he gets to yeah. because yeah. If anytime it, you see on Twitter every, and people talk about America's like favorite dad, yeah. everybody always says James Avery. Yeah, I mean because <laughs> James Avery was the person that everybody thought Bill Cosby was. Exactly. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that. We find out later, Bill Cosby. We thought Bill Cosby was this nice jokes, all you know, jokes and pudding pots and shit. Um, <laughs> Let him know he's a freaking psychopath. Like outside of him drugging women, yeah, he was very manip manipulative to the people on the set, especially towards Denise. When he found Denise was pregnant, he was like, "Yo, they're like, yo, Lisa Bonet is pregnant. Denise, your daughter on the show, is not pregnant. This is TV." That's so. He was a wild, wild dude. Wild dude. He tripping. Uh, but yeah. Question number two, and this is going to be interesting because I heard a conversation about it the other day, so I had to look at it to make sure so I can bring it to you. Right. Billboard did the top 50 rappers list. I'm quite sure you've heard about this because the controversy behind it with Jim Jones saying Pusha T doesn't belong on the list, and it's wild Jim Jones out of all people saying that. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about that. I want to ask you, do you agree with the top five? Wow, I'm, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna Go read ahead. the top five. Okay, I want to look it up real quick. Number five, Eminem. Okay. Number four, Tupac. Okay. Number three, Nas. Number two, Kendrick Lamar. Ooh. And Ooh. number one. <laughs> Jay-Z, the face uh -oh. you made just now. Oh, I, I mean, that's a choice. That was a choice. Like, yeah. wow. Wow. I mean, dang. I don't like none of them. I don't like none of them, but Jay, but but Jay and M. Like, those are the only two that I could make a justifiable case for. Probably Nas, but not at three. Like, 
If it were me, I'd probably have still keep Emmett five, probably Nas hovering around four, have big at like one or two, you know, Jay at like two or three. And then in that third spot, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking probably somebody old school. You kind of feel like you got to make homage to the to the old like it had to be like Rakim or somebody. Okay. If you don't put Rakim in there, then somebody's gonna they're gonna some dude from like the 80s is gonna come and hit you with a rock. Like chill. <laughs> Pretty much. Chill. <laughs> so Biggie is number six, to yeah. be clear. That's bullshit. Like, like, okay. The only flaw that Biggie has is that he only had two albums. That's it. His flaw was dying. His, his flaw <laughs> that was, was his dying. flaw. Like out of anyone on this list, he is the 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 best lyricist probably outside of Eminem. The problem with Eminem is that he white, you know. And I mean that's not it's not necessarily a flaw, but it's very hard for because if you look at this, he probably has more album sales than everybody on this list combined. Eminem. Yes. Like, if, if Eminem, if Jay-Z had the record sales that Eminem has, he would be hard number one. But the fact that Eminem is white, it's just no way. Like, I can put you near the top, but you can't, you can never be one, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Eminem, that's, that's, in terms of record sales, I think it's probably like Eminem, Drake. Yeah, yeah. I think Kanye probably is in that list, like, in terms of, like, record sales. Kanye's up there. Jay, um... Eminem has more record sales in like the Marshall Mathers LP than Jay-Z has his entire career. That like like wrap your mind around that. Like yeah. I think he I think Eminem has a diamond album. I want to say it's either Slim Shady or Martha Mathers LP. And and it's got like some stupid amount of sales, like 70 million. And I think I think Jay-Z got like 69. It was for his entire career, which is nothing to 69 million, which is nothing to sneeze at. But you have to understand the level. We're talking about like 350, 400 million albums sold. He up there with like, 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 like uh Michael Jackson and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and white groups. Like it's Will not Smith. Yeah, Will Smith. It's not, it's levels to this. It's in terms of album sales. But one of the things is, is that you being an elite level rapper and being white like that that's a that's a that's a record sale bonus <laughs> like not only are you amazing but I, I i i i relate to you and that helps it helps out a lot i i'll say this and this is not a knock on him but he is hip-hop's elvis yeah but yeah. he has the talent to back it up he's not yeah. like yeah. you know elvis kind of stole from black culture yeah. to get his to get his down his swag and became super successful yeah. yeah white culture adopted elvis and was yeah. digging his music because of that in black yeah. culture as well eminem grew up in black culture yeah he thrived in black culture he and thrived. he kind of made his career in black culture yeah. and white culture loved him for it and loved adapted, him for it. and adapted yeah. adopted yeah. him to you know so and he, he and he and he was smart enough to understand the rules and play within those rules. Like he not gonna he not gonna call you a nigga, but but if you want to go at him, he'll eat your lunch. Like yeah. you have to have you have to be, you know, in this world, in this rap world, you have to be hyper masculine. But you have to understand that there are that 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 there's some things that you as a white guy at this game you still can't say. And he still continued to play by all all those rules. I res I, I supremely respect him for it. You know, I mean, even Nas on this list, like. It's hard to quantify Nas because 
to get high on this list, you, I feel like you had to be the best rapper in the game at any given point in time. And there was no point where Nas was the best rapper in the game. He he is the Emmett Smith of this list, where he is constantly good. <laughs> but if you were to put him up against, you know, Barry Sanders or Jim Brown, you're like, yeah. I think the thing about Nas is this. People credit Nas in having the greatest hip-hop album of all time, which is Ill- Illmatic. So yeah. that alone puts him up there. Oh, man. And then you have to add in the fact that he's kind of having a resurgence. Yeah, I love where, every bit of it. Love where, every bit of it. Where all the rappers that we l- grew up loving put out albums and nobody give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Nas is putting out albums like, yeah, Young General, like my son is like a huge Nas fan. Yeah. Now, because 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 he stays he stays in it. He got with Hit Boy. And I think this this resurgence of guys making older rappers making albums with younger producers, like it works. Like I can take my technical lyricism and you can get you can you get me with some some updated beats and it's just been working together. I remember when Freddie Gibbs, man, when Freddie Gibbs and Currency made an album with Alchemist and Sonically, oh my God, it's just so nice. Great. I agree. I, I <laughs> so think it's nice. good that we have the artists that we grew up with kind of still making music, and that's still pretty dope. Yeah, I don't I mean, even think rappers retire. Like I, I know guys are like, should. yeah, it's my la- it's my last album. I'm like, nah, man, keep rapping, rapping, rapping till you sixty, man. Just rap, <laughs> rap till you just fall off a cliff. It's an art form. No one ever told huh. Picasso that he needed to stop painting because he was in his seventies or whatever. I don't know when he died, but I'm just saying they never told him to stop rapping because he was stop painting because he was old. They don't tell I'm- other forms of art to stop. I never got that concept of hey, you're, you're old now. You're stop. I'm like, for what? Why? Yeah, think Long about your this. Fan base is, your fan base is growing old with you. The people that purchase music by far are younger artists, but all of your OGs, all of the people who are the best in the game, they 30 plus. Think yeah. about Drake and Kendrick Lamar. I mean, Jay Jake in his 50s, <laughs> Nas Nas in his 50s. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like all you all those guys that you love and adore, they old. <laughs> yeah. Completely. You know, right. anyway. Question number three. If you can change any moment in black history, what are you changing? Wow. Wow. That's tough. That's really yeah, tough. It is. I don't know. I mean, I guess the easy one, the easy one would be, would be slavery. If you was like, Hey, I don't want a new, I don't want, I don't want slavery. I don't know if the things play out the same, the same way. I doubt that America is the country that it is today. It's capitalism is built on free labor and they needed, they needed somebody working for free because it wasn't like they were going to get out there in the fields. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were going to till them field. They wouldn't do none of that shit. You know what I'm saying? And without, extremely cheap labor doesn't work it doesn't work none the system the system doesn't work this is why people tell us that like they're like you know uh you didn't build this country we absolutely built this country because your system like even now the system is built on having the cheapest labor possible this is why we have a minimum wage because that motherfucker is basically saying if i could charge you less i would this is the minimum allowable by law yes. because i you know and that is an extension of 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 slavery um, to add okay. on to that, that's why America outsources a lot of its products mm-hmm. for super Absolutely. cheap. <laughs> right, because I can go send it 
uh, I, I can go send it to Indonesia or, or India or China. And I know that the dollar is different there and that they're paying them different. Or they, or they might lock them, especially in China. China, they'll just lock you in a sweatshop. You live here. This is where you live. Go sleep at the end of your line and come here and wake up and work another 18 hour, 18 hour shift. They don't like human rights. Don't, it don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Human rights don't matter, and it and if it don't matter to them, then it damn sure don't matter to Nike. <laughs> Facts, you know. You know. Um, but like the thing that keeps popping in my head is probably is probably the GI Bill. Um, you know, if if we if, if you know slavery not included, because I think slavery is easy. I say, hey, I don't want no slavery. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll we'll keep that and we'll look for something a bit more difficult that I think was a very huge transitional moment for um, African Americans in this country because we had spent you know two world wars fighting for this country and the GI Bill was built as a reward for for that especially after World War II that hey we want to thank you for your sacrifice and it is credited with with basically you know just building the middle class in this country because it allowed for you to have to be able to get low interest loans for for businesses for homes and black people were excluded from those benefits because one of the big one of the huge um caveats to that is that you had to get a third party you had to find a bank that would lend you the money and the and and while there's no cat there's nothing in the GI bill that is especially racist if I have to ask a third party for money they could just be like nah nigga I'm not giving it to you I'm not going to give it to you and that's what would happen so so they were primarily excluded from that transfer of wealth and if we look at look now the the biggest difference in wealth and and in in this country is home ownership. I can if I bought a house in 1956 for $10,000 and now that house is worth 3,000 300,000 and I can will that to my kids, what can my kids do with that? You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of money that can be transferred transferred to my kids. You know, and there's so many legal loopholes. I was looking at a legal loophole the other day that basically said that if you inherited a house from your parents, that if you sold it very quickly, like within the first thirty days, you paid no taxes on it. Huh. This is the world. This is the world that we live in. We we live in a world that was designed for wealthy landowners, primarily white. And you need to be in that game. And the fact that we weren't allowed in that game really, really set us back. Really, really set us back financially. Even when you talk about stuff, stuff like gentrification and and uh, uh, <clears throat> gentrification is not expressly black or white it's the ability to have choice and when you're renting you don't have that choice you need to be able to own where you stay you need to, be able to own where you stay and if somebody comes and wants to and wants to buy your brownstone in brooklyn for 25 million dollars you need to have the ability to say yes you can have it i'm out i'm going to south beach <laughs> you know what i'm saying and that's this is what this game is about it's what this game is about capitalism was built for wealthy white landowners, and we need to be able to play within the constraints of that game the way they play it, so that we can also continue to excel. If this is the game you're going to play, these are the constraints you're going to put on us. We need to play and excel at the game that you created. Facts. So yeah, GI Bill. Okay, love it. Great answer. All right. Question number four. Yep. I want you to rank these famous black directors or creators. Ooh. Ooh. Melvin Van Peebles, Spike Lee, Issa Rae, 
Robert Townsend. Wow. That's tough. That's tough. I am not, not, not a huge, hugely familiar with Velvet Man people's work. You know what I'm saying? The only work I know is him creating Mario <laughs> 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 and being in and being in uh Living Single, <laughs> an episode of Living Single. Um, but so he would definitely, he would definitely have to be have to be four. Um okay. one of the things with Issa is is and I while I love Issa, I'm a huge fan of Issa. I feel as though um the body of work isn't there when compared to the other two. When compared to Robert Townsend, when compared to Spike. So she probably would have to be have to be three. Um wow, Robert Townsend, I just saw him. I think he plays the daughter. He plays the the the, the father of one of the characters on um the bear. That's it. So he's actually yeah, working. Right. Yeah, he's he's actually, working. Yeah, he's actually working, which is awesome. Um but I love hearing him talk, especially when he talks about Hollywood Shuffle and how he was going going through Hollywood and and the things that showed up at Hollywood Shuffle was his actual experiences dealing with um a black man trying to get a part in Hollywood and having white people tell you that you're not you're not black enough. You're not playing the character black enough. I need you to be solemn. I need you, I need you to be a, a, a crackhead hoe in the ghetto. Come on, give me more. Give me, you know. It's wild. Um, yeah, it's wild. I love, I love Robert Townsend. He kind of reminds me a bit of myself as a kid, as a awkward, um, probably a bit too articulate kid, <laughs> telling jokes. Um, but yeah, definitely Spike. And 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 one of the things I love about Spike is Spike has works like like uh, the taking of uh, Pella One Two Three, or yeah, he did that. No. He did another movie. He did. He has several movies that are not Spike like, and I and that's yes, what I like. Does. I like the movies. No, I don't think it's Pella. It's something. It was. I think it was like a heist flick, flick that I watched in his, and I was like, "This is a Spike movie. This don't feel like this is not do the right thing." Anyway, this is why I'm a huge fan. A huge fan of Spike Lee. I think. I think his work and his vision, and he doesn't get the credit. I'm looking it up right now. The, it's the something with Denzel Inside Man. Inside Man, that's it. There we go. There we go. So you knew. We knew we found it. <laughs> um, and I remember watching, and I was like, this does not feel like a Spike Lee film. This feels like uh uh I don't want to say standard, a standard movie, which of course in this in this in this game, you have to do Hollywood films. You can't make all the films you unless you quit Tarantino. You don't get to make every film that you want to make in succession. <laughs> and it's you don't have to make you gotta make the movies that they want you to make. And when he does that, he can still be a standard director and that ability to be able to, you know, code switch if if you will, is is it's great. Remarkable. It's great. It's remarkable. It's a feat. It's a feat. You just don't have to you can't just play to us, you can play to every audience. A bonus question with this one. What's up? Because somebody left off the list intentionally. Tyler Perry. Yeah. Now, let's leave out the questionable stuff that he's done yeah. in terms of like his, the movies, the same movies, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's all said and done, how important you think Tyler Perry will be to black culture? And I say this because while he has like the movies like that, you know, that have the questionable things yeah. that we may or may not like, the Medea thing and all that. He also he just recently bought BET. Yeah. He has this big studio 
that he just created that, that he kind of made. He's doing a lot of things that are very impactful. Yeah. Um, man, Tyler Perry, and I, I, I struggle to make this, to make this, you know, remark because I don't, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. But Tyler Perry reminds me a bit of step and fetch it a little bit where a lot of the things that he's done is really divisive and people can point to it and be like, I don't like that. Or you're, you know, forwarding stereotypes about black people the same way step and fetch it would when he would play in his movies. Like when you, you do your movies, you watching them and you had a stereotype of the, of the, the courageous light skinned man and all of the dark skinned men or the villains, you know, and terrible wigs and all that stuff. Uh, but on the flip side of that, Step and Fetch it made more money than any other black actor at the time. And he paved the way for legitimate, legitimate black actors. Like there could be no Sidney Portier without without Step and Fetch it. And that's what Tyler Perry is doing. Tyler Perry is keeping, yeah, he makes movies and yeah, there are some divisive parts, but he is keeping half of black Hollywood in work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He keeping people working. He keeping people in, in movies. Yeah, you might not like his movies, and you might not like the complete control that he has and how he wants to write every script ever, all the scripts. He he refuses to have a team, but he understands his audience and he plays his audience very well. And when he creates a show or 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 a movie, he knows exactly who his audience is and they eat that stuff up. He didn't become a billionaire. I think he's a billionaire. He yeah, didn't become as rich uh, as rich as he is because he didn't know who he like like this is what they tell you when you when you're building a YouTube channel or you're building a podcast. They always tell you to know your audience and his ability to know his audience to a T and exactly what they like. When he makes a movie and you're like, this is awful. It ain't for you. It was never for you. <laughs> it was exactly. never for you. It's for his core. And that that is a remark. It's damn near, it's damn near a superpower, to be honest with you. And I wish, I wish I had it. Because when people ask me, what's your audience? I'd be like, black people. Black people. <laughs> like, is it though? <laughs> um, and, and I like the way that he he's pushing people, he's pushing things forward. And he's been in the studio and he's keeping black actors in work. And he's he's I think he's pushing forward the industry. And when we look back on on the life of Tyler Perry and how far he's come and what he's done, we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna be extremely appreciative of of the work that he's put towards towards black actors, you know, awful movies, awful movies notwithstanding. If you look back at Oscar Michaud, who was like one of the very, very, very first black directors, you know what he was putting out? Crap. His movies were awful. He was making them in a month. You know what I'm saying? But that wasn't his legacy. The legacy was the fact that he was keeping black actors in work and that he was constantly producing his own. He was producing, writing, directing his own movies. He was like Tyler Perry before Tyler Perry was a thing. And it's and that sort of stuff is exactly what this industry is about. It's about us making our own content. They say the same thing about Tubi. Tubi's making awful content. But you know what? They're keeping Black actors in work. And, and it's a place where Black people can go and watch movies with us in it, no matter how awful these movies are, tend to be. <laughs> Facts. All right, question number five. Yep. This is going to be a real good one for you. I feel like each era in terms of black history has had that one person that black America looks to as their leader. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily saying whether it's true or not, 
but you know, you had, you had Malcolm X, you had MLK, you had right. Muhammad Ali. You've had different like different yeah, eras. Yeah. Even in, right. in the '90s, we had yeah. hip hop, and we had you know Pac and Big. So yeah. I know people were like, oh, Pac and Big, what are you talking about? You know, the younger generation looked at Pac and Big as their heroes. Right. At that time, you know, Jay Z and Nas, you know, hip hop kind of took over that. Who do you think would be define that for this generation? I don't know if it could be anybody but Obama. Like, I don't know who you would pick. Like, even if you pick someone else, like, you'd be like, but, but Obama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, I mean, even to this day, like, I mean, yeah, Biden is the president, but I mean, my president. <laughs> that is, yeah. My president <laughs> is still Barack Hussein Obama. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's probably one of the few people in this world. They're about three or four human beings on this planet that I would like geek out if I ever got to meet. You know what I'm saying? It's like like Michael Jordan, Barack Obama, you know what I'm saying? It's not and everybody else is like, all right, hey, that's so and so. That's Jay Z. Oh, cool. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? But like to meet Obama, I would freak. I would freak out. And I think I think that's because of the kind of presence and the aura and and you know, he's he's Almost like we live in a world where you know if you you know you're corporate and you have to be cold switch and he live he's able to sign to very easily cold switch and and move fluidly through a world of white folks and black folks and you kind of see that when he does the dap and he don't like handshake white folks and he daps up brothers that like that. That world where you can eat so easily cold switch for a lot of us, man, this is what we want to be. This is the guy. That's the that's exactly what I want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want white folks to respect me and for and for black people to still feel like I'm I'm one of them, like I'm real, like I'm not some yeah. Clarence Thomas ass Uncle Tom. <laughs> yeah. That is facts. That's a great answer. So yeah. All right. Before we get to what I want to talk to you about. Yeah. I want to bring this up because you brought it up earlier about the, uh, we were talking about the um, Tyler Perry thing. Mm-hmm. How important do you think a legacy and more importantly what you bring with your legacy is? And, and what I mean by that is this, because like, like we were talking about the whole Tyler Perry thing. Tyler Perry, yeah, we don't like the movies and things like that, but Tyler Perry got a lot of black actors and actresses jobs and that we kind of know and love today. Mm -hmm. Now let's get to a little little bit darker territory. Bill Cosby. Awful person. Terrible, terrible person. But the impact of the Cosby show can't be denied. Different world. The actors that came from under that Cosby tree. And it's a long, like, it's a long, it's a big tree. Yeah. It's kind of hard to kind of separate that yeah, from that absolutely. And I, I, I bring this up because when we were having a conversation just a second ago about Tyler Perry, I was thinking about the documentary, um, what is it called? The Problem with Cosby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's just, it's one of those things where like you, you look at the horrible things He's done as a person. And then the fact that, if you want to be honest with it, seems like he kind of got a, got off, not seem like, he got off easy. He did. He got he got away with it, essentially. Yeah. Which makes it even worse. 
And then you look at the impact this man has had on so many lives in terms of like, you know, a lot of people cite the Cosby show as the inspiration for getting into acting, a different world as the inspiration for going into college and things like that. It's hard. It's, it's real difficult it to separate hard. that. Oh, man. Part of me wish he would have just died. It would just been easier. It just been yeah. easier if you just died and just nobody, nobody knew <laughs> what what happened because his legacy. He he was such a positive legacy up until like we talked about it. He was he was the the prototypical black father, you know. And you hate to see that happen to 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 one of our heroes. You know what I'm saying? Like that fall, like that fall from grace. And, it, and honestly, it feel like it, it feels like it always it, it all, we always fall further. <laughs> yeah. The black folks always fall further. Like, like I don't, I don't know if it's a lack of shame. Like somebody like Trump, they, that the same things could come out. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of right because, like, all the stuff that that's come out about Trump now, people are like, oh, okay, we kind of, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we kind of like, exactly like, the person. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't, we don't get that opportunity for grace or to or to 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 bounce back. And I'm saying that he deserves it. I'm just saying that that. We just not treated. We just not treated the same. We treated. We treated differently. On the flip side of that, he's such an awful person that it's hard. It's hard to even not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not hard to completely ignore the legacy and the people that come around. Like I can't even watch the Cosby Show anymore, just because it's just so. Like I look at him and you, and it's so funny and it's so goofy and I was like, this should be, this should be in the Hall of Fame somewhere, you know. But but you like. It's it's like having a you know Jeffrey Dahmer on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's like a and I think a good parallel. It's funny because these happen around the same time. Is the Harvey Weinstein situation? Yeah, very much a Harvey Weinstein situation. Harvey Weinstein worked. He worked with Tarantino. They had, they, they used to have a, a movie couple together. They make he made tons of of movies that you probably love, and yet he was a monster. He was a yeah. monster. Movies that you love. He he kind of put actors on that, that we mm-hmm. love today, and it's now it's like oh. Then you hear the story like, oh, you're like, Ew. that y'all, you did all of that, you did all of that, and I know. And what I will say about Cosby is that Cosby, once again, um, like somebody like uh, Homie from from Playboy, they were they, he was doing, he did a lot of similar things that Cosby did, and while he was alive, he he was relatively bullshit free. Like yeah, today. They they roasted him on TV and they got TV shows about him, but he was able to live and people were like, "This is he's the guy that I want to be." Well, you know, he was if you beloved. Hate, he was beloved, and him and Cosby are virtually the same guy. That whole thing about giving women quaaludes, he learned that from him. They used to call him like thigh openers or some or some crap. You know, I don't I don't remember thigh openers, that, panty droppers, or something like that. That is wild when you think about it, like. Hugh Hefner was allowed to be who he was till his death, and it, it kind of like, well, that's just Hugh. It's so it's, that's a wild thing to think about, yeah. and we really yeah. put it through. He you had a TV about... show where he had women on there as his girlfriends that were like in his nineties, homie. He was in his eighties and nineties. He had young twenty-five year old girlfriends, multiple. Like, come on, what's happening? What is what's happening? What is, what's happening here? And we, you know it's society just like well, I guess that's that's just you have to. It makes sense. Back in the sixties, he was more in the Playboy Mansion, more like a a whorehouse, <laughs> more like a whorehouse, and it was just like, eh, 
That's Hugh. That's Hugh. Oh man, having a good time there at the Playboy Mansion. Like, what is? What are we doing? What are you doing? How how were you able to live your life with almost complete impunity and then pass away and then now we we air out all your dirty laundry? Like that's it's bullshit. Yeah, it's it's bullshit. I just I'm not I I, I want to hesitate and tell people that hey I'm not justifying Cosby, but I'm all I'm saying is that we're not judged by the same standard. We don't live we don't live in the same world that 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 wealthy white men are are able to live in a world with almost complete impunity. And if you are the same type of animal as a black man, it's sometimes your, at some point your chickens will come will come to roost. <laughs> your chickens will come to roost. And what I want in this world is for all of the people to be brought to roost. I want I want Hugh Hefner to be brought to roost too. I want everybody to live in a world where you do foul shit, you can't dealt with repercussions for your actions. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> there should be consequences no matter what race, creed, right. religion you're from. And yeah. for, unfortunately... That's not the way we live in. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, let me talk to you about this. Because I, I, I saw you post about it. And I wanted to hear your thoughts. Are you talking about affirmative action? <laughs> no, 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 not about that. Uh, well, that's okay. a whole other conversation. It I want to have a, other. I want to have a positive conversation with you. Today. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because you know, I have my hat on now. I have yeah. my hat on. I was about. I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the Black History Museum, man. What was that oh, like? Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so. Tell me the story about how did you go end up going there? What made you go there? Just oh, wow! I, I know you was I know you were taught you doing things for your show about it as well. And I thought it was when I saw you talking about it, like oh this is kind of cool because we so, don't get to see that often. No, we don't. And okay, so I went to D.C. because my homie's from D.C. So man, this is pre this is pre Braden. Um, he was born in 2020. It had to been like Shante was pregnant. It had been like 2018. It had been like 2018. Okay. I went to DC, but it was it. So we went up there and we went to the Air and Space Museum. And uh, while I do a Black History podcast, I'm an equal opportunity nerd. So I was in the space in uh, Air and Space Museum, eating it up. I love it. I love everything about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then we went to the American History Museum, and I remember very vividly that black people were pushed into a broom closet in the corner. Like 400 years of black folks was in the corner. They had like the 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 lunch counter from the Greensboro Four and then like the dress from the Wiz and all this like random stuff. And it's like, that's it. That's all but we got for black people. And I was like, yo, what the, what is this? This is all the contributions we have for black people in this tiny broom closet in the corner. Like this is crap. And then I found out that they were building an African-American museum and it was, it wasn't open at the time. This was, you know, it was, they was almost complete. I think it was going to open up that winter um, or whatever. This might've been 2016. I think Obama went or before 2016, I think Obama went and Oprah went, or whatever, I don't know. Anyway, I've been wanting to go for years. I've been trying to go and wanting to go and couldn't figure it out, but my wife was like, my wife had a party um, because she has a friend who lives in DC who, who turned to 40 and they had invited them like, hey, we're gonna come out there, they're gonna spend the night, they're gonna make a thing out of it. And I was like, she was like, I'm gonna go. And I'm like, peace. And then she's like, well, you know, you can make this an opportunity to go to the to African American Museum because she knows what I like. 
And it was like, you, you really want me to be a chauffeur, but <laughs> speaking my language right now. So I'm like, bet, because I really wanted to go. So my man's, he rode with us. He got us tickets. You didn't even need tickets. But I was like, we're going to go. We got up there on, on, on a Saturday. We got our tickets were at one. We went to the Amish market that early that morning. I got me, which by the way, if you haven't been to the Amish market in DC, go, go, go. It's so amazing. Yo, them, okay. them, them weirdos can cook. <laughs> <laughs> they can cook, man. That food is so good. Them baked goods and the ribs, and they made some pizza and everything they do. It's just it's dope. Um, anyway, we went to the museum and it was just my element. It was so wonderful because I mean, while they do do slavery and segregation, it's so much in there to see that is apart from that, all our contributions to art and to um music and and literature all in there once sports uh uh religion it's just great they had stuff from uh, uh nation of islam they had whole exhibits about about muhammad ali and like he had a whole room just talking about you know muhammad ali and some of his uh uh uh, I think he had like a robe and some gloves and all kinds of stuff. They had a glove from Jack Johnson. Like, that's cool. It's everything in here. I love everything. I love everything about this. This is this is my people. I'm home. And I and I was in there and I kind of given. I mean, I was giving tours, but I was really like taking pictures, taking pictures for content. But also, like, I would give like, hey, this is dope. Because, you know, I talked about James Baldwin and, and I told them about how James Baldwin was supposed to speak at the at the March on Washington. But he got they cut him out because he was so divisive, like they didn't know what James Baldwin was going to say. Because, you know, James Baldwin, like I told you before, he's one of my heroes. Um, and I was like, I love him. I love I love everything about him. He the way he speaks about race is the way I want to speak about race. But I can't I can't put the words to, <laughs> together as eloquently as he can. As he could, so, but yeah, man, I love it. I love everything, everything about it. I have no qualms. The only thing I didn't get to see was Emmett Till. They have an exhibit in there, down in the segregation part, about what happened to Emmett Till, and the line was like wrapped around the building. I was like, I don't know what's in there, but I want to see it. And basically, it's supposed to be like a replica of the of his mom and the casket and her crying over. Even that picture of her crying over his casket, his glass line casket, and you can see his body. And I was like, they say it's a lot. You can't even you can't even use photography. It's so you can't even take a picture in there because this is the kind of atmosphere they're trying to be heavy on you. And I was like, you know what? This whole this whole place is heavy. How about we just leave? Yeah, that's a that's a bit much. Like yeah, it's a lot. I, it's a lot. It's a lot. I, I even said, um, I couldn't watch the movie. No. Because you know, I've done several. I did an episode on his mother and him. I remember both uh, episodes. And it is it's just a lot. And the story is so negative. There's no positives in it that it's just I I can't have that on my soul. I can't watch this movie because I know that it's no good. Like when you talk about like some of these stories that we talk about, like Murder in Mississippi, where the three um the three Freedom Riders, um, Freedom Summer activists got murdered. Then they turned it to Mississippi Burning. Uh, or like Medgar Evers or Vernon Dahmer or the um, church explosion in, um, in in Birmingham. All of those have a happy ending. The, eventually, yes. the people involved come to justice. That may be 40 years later, but they do come to, there is some justice 
for the victims in those in those um incidents. But but Emmett Till, there's no good. Nothing, Nothing ever good ever comes of it. There's no happiness. The only positives in this story is that it was a spark for the the very, very, very beginnings of the civil rights movement. And when Rosa Parks was sitting on that bus and she thought about standing up after that guy told her she needed to shake something. And she was like, I thought about Emmett Till laying in that casket and there's no way that I can get up from that seat. And that, that's the sort of thing. The only positive I could take is to change the mindset of people like, you know, Martin Luther King and, and Rosa Parks. Other than that, I was like, I was like, I don't want to see that. I'm good. I've read the story. I read the book. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to take in. Like the, the whole story within itself, because like I said, there's no happy ending. No, it's not. There's, there's no happy not, ending. I, there's I, no redemption. <laughs> and you um, can't you can't even make the argument that well things have changed today. Cause no has still, it? Yeah, exactly. You can't even make that argument because we no. just recently, what, a year or two ago had shit like that happen. People getting yeah. lynched still. So it's yeah, like... It's not... It's that. It's no good. It's, there was no... Absolutely no good. One, one of the things I did like is that when you go when you go to the segregation part, it's in the basement. And then they make you go all the way down to 1400 and then kind of walk back up. And when you take the elevator down, it goes from the current day and then it's like dates on the wall and it takes you all the way back to 1400 and then you pop out at 1400 at the very, very be early beginnings of the slave trade in like, you know, Spain and Portugal. And I was like, this, this is clever. You guys are clever. And my son, we was in there. It's a solid moment. We're in there. It's a middle passage. Everybody's in there quiet. They're reading. My son's like, ah! <laughs> 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 Chill. <laughs> I I was gonna ask that and you kind of answered it. So it goes from the beginning and it goes to current times. Yeah, and it's in in the slavery and segregation part. So okay. the um the sports has their own like little area, and they have a area for black people in in the military and all the recipients of the Medal of Honor. All of that has its own. The the art and media has their own space. They have Chuck Berry's Cadillac. It's it got this candy paint. It is so beautiful. And Parliament and Funkadelic's uh spaceship and like the outfit that Boosie Collins wore and the outfit that 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 uh, George Clinton wore and all this stuff. But that's in a different part. But when but but when you're ready, you go all the way down to the basement and right next to the cafeteria is the segregation. Um, part and then you go down to the basement and then you walk back up through through history till you get to um, current day. I think it's like 68, 1968 on. Wow. And yeah, it's great. It's great. If you don't go and do nothing, if you don't do nothing, at least go to the segregation part and go to the uh, cafeteria. They have a call. I think it's called a sweet cafe. And it's so... <laughs> So they have a cafeteria in there, right? And it serves black people food. It serves collard greens and, and mac and cheese and fried chicken. And I think they had some ribs. I, I had some ribs. Um, and that was dope. And it was dope. But here's a kicker. My wife went in and she was like, yo, can I get um a wing and a leg? He was like, no, we only give out. We only give out legs and thighs. I'm like, you only give out legs and thighs? Like, you only serve dark meat? Like, this shit, $18. You only serve in dark meat? And then later on, I was like, of course, in African-American museum, they don't serve no white meat. And I'm like, <laughs> like you think you're clever. You think you're clever. <laughs> you think you're clever. I saw, yeah, I see your jokes. 
So yeah, man, I would advise everybody to go. Of course, because it's sponsored by the Smithsonian, it's free. Um, I think you might have to have tickets, but even though because it's the holiday season and it's like a million people down there, they wouldn't even charge it for admission. I mean, charge it for admission. They wouldn't charge, you didn't have to have tickets. We just walk right in. So yeah, wow. and next time you're in DC, if you don't do nothing, go see that. I think it's like, just you have some good walking shoes. My feet still ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it's great. It's great. I still have tons of pictures. Like I don't even, I have so many pictures. I don't even know what the what to do with with all of them you know what i mean it's just so many pictures of things that i'm like i don't know they had florida evans dress they had jj's hat they had uh uh, uh sherman hemsley's suit like come on man it was little <laughs> <laughs> so yeah go go have a good time it's awesome let, let me ask you this since you've been there do you think it changed you in the way you look at history at least black history i think i had i always had this thing in my head where i wanted every person that i talk about even if they're not an activist to be activist related like like one of the reasons why i like telling harry belafonte's story that he was more than just an actor and a singer that he also you know helped the the, the movement and i only wanted to tell stories that was activist adjacent but now after going there i realized that that even even if you're not directly involved in activism, you just doing what you do and with your media, with your media and whatever you're good at and and putting it out there to the masses and just showing people what black excellence looks like is part of 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 activism. And and I feel like all those stories need to be told no matter no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Even if you weren't involved, even if you weren't involved, even if you weren't putting money into the movement, you know? I think I think all those stories need to be told. That's right. I think it's dope. Very right. dope. Before we go, I do want to touch on this because we probably gonna end up doing a, a deeper cop, cop, conversation yeah, about yeah, this absolutely. real soon. But give me your thoughts on the whole affirmative action thing because it's been a week. It's <laughs> absolute, absolute fucking bullshit. Complete bullshit. Like honestly. I felt like it's so shoddily done and thrown together that it leaves it leaves these um, uh, uh, colleges open for lawsuits because when you tell me that you're making special conditions for you know race, gender, legacy status, all these other things, and then you go and have the Supreme Court tell them that they only cut out race and left all the other special conditions available to you. Well, the first thing that I would do is sue those, sue against those special conditions. Because if you, if you, if you can't tell me that you're going, that, that, that I can't make any special conditions based off race. And then, then in the same breath, tell me that I can still make special conditions based off of gender or legacy status. That's, that's, that, that doesn't work. You need to tell me why these are different. Why is different? Why? How is this different? And that's what sucks because when you looked at affirmative action, affirmative action's biggest thing is that the people that were that, that were um, it was based off it wasn't based off of race. It was based off minority status, right? So that meant that white women were overwhelmingly benefiting from from, from affirmative action, right? But when you look at that and you say okay, well, we're going to continue to allow them to benefit from affirmative action while we're moving 
any of the things that benefited that, that benefit African Americans as a whole, that's not that's that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You you got you you can't even make that make sense in no one's head. You can't even make a compelling argument for that. I agree. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a, a while next few Harvard months. is already being sued because of their special um recommendations for legacies and 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 you know it's the hard the, the thing that this hard for me is the asian people that were like hey we did it we got rid of affirmative action no you didn't because the person because the people that you were trying to exclude don't take spots away from you there's so few of us like black people at harvard represent what seven percent or less yeah. of 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 admissions is basically less than the total population in the united states right so the person who's taking it, who's taking a spot from you is not a black person. That is a, it's a legacy. It's a wealthy donor. It's an athlete. That's the person that's taking a spot from you. And that person is going to continue to take a spot from you. And now that that spot is not being taken by a black person, it's not going to an Asian. It's going to a legacy. It's going to someone else. It didn't open up a spot for you to take. It opened up a spot for another person to take advantage of, <laughs> to take advantage to get over. You didn't help yourself. You just pushed yourself backwards. It's crazy. It's crazy the conversation that's going on about this. And yeah, it's crazy. It's a conversation because they're talking. People talking about you know. I mean, one of the good things about it is that HBCUs don't like affirmative action because it was based on minority status worked both ways. So if you had a school that was primarily black, they had to also make special accommodations for white people. So you had someone like A&T, which has an excellent engineering program and were allowing a lot of white and Indian students to come to the school where they could, where they could learn and become engineers. And now they don't have to make those special recommendations. Those, those things can go to black kids. They can go to black kids. You could get that. Hey, it ain't as fun. It ain't fun when 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 the um the the goose got the gun. Like like oh not this this works both ways. Yes, it does. It absolutely works both ways. That said, we so we so accommodating that we would be like, nah, we're not gonna do that. Did you? Should you not? Yeah. Let me final question. I think this is an important one. Do you What's think up? because of all this, you think it would encourage more African Americans to go to black colleges? I hope so. I, I I absolutely hope so. I hope so too. I hope we flood black schools with with money and donations and students, especially the best and the, the best and the brightest, the students that could have gone to the Harvards, should be going, should be going to the A and T's and and the fams of the world. We should be flooding our schools with the best with the best and brightest to show the, the to show the world what what we are capable of on on our own within within our own ecosystem. And I, and and honestly, I I advise everyone even before this, I advise everyone to go to HBCU because you need to be around your own people. We spend a lot of times around the most negative versions of ourselves, the people that we that we help. You need to be around kids that that black kids who are just like you, who are weird just like you, who, you know what I'm saying, who are golf just like you, who like the same music as you, and and it it you have much more appreciation for for your people when you find out that you are not you are not as weird as you think. <laughs> you know, I, I really I really think that's important. I agree. I definitely do agree, man. Yeah. And Aggie Pride. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great episode country man let them know where to find you at Mm. you can find me at onemichistory.com i also have a youtube channel at one mic history you can also oh man 
I don't even know I should put out my Twitter no more. I don't know how long we're gonna be on this thing you know, on, on, <laughs> yeah. Elon, on Elon's Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but you can find me. We had to go somewhere. Yeah, blue sky, blue sky, or spill, or somewhere. One of these other Twitter clones. I think, I think Instagram is also making a Twitter clone. Also, so we're gonna see. We're gonna see where people land. I'm on all of them until we find out which one today to the power vacuum stops and we figure out which you know which got leader got the biggest rock and we all end up on that platform. Yeah, but you can find me there <laughs> on Elon's Twitter at, at One Mike History, and you can find me on Instagram at uh, One Mike underscore History, man. So yeah, come out, talk to me, hit me on DM. I love talking to the people. It's gonna be dope. There you go. And as always, Delvin Cox Spears, we are out. Peace. Peace.